around back Arizona. It's 8 o'clock. We're in the outdoor living hour for Saturday of the week. We've got Farmer Greg joining us in studio. If you'd like to join the conversation, ask something about your urban farm or starting an urban farm. Jump tri- in. one 767 That's one 888 for you. You can jump in like Farmer Greg said. Text can be sent to 411-923 or email info at rosyonthehouse.com. I don't know why we need the sprinklers. <laughs> Not <laughs> this week. Rain. Oh, yeah. Turn off your sprinklers. <laughs> I've had my sprinklers off for the past month. Uh, it's about, I think I've only watered once since Thanksgiving, and yeah. that was the pecan yeah. trees. Yep. And, and we do have a winter lawn, and so I've been hitting that here and there. You know what? I have a winter lawn in my front and backyard that I never planted. And you, I never water. You don't have a six-year-old that spends six hours a day playing football on it. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I have a two-year-old pup, but that's about it. So we've got uh, our garden planning. You know, I don't know how many times I've seen, and I'm personally guilty of this, starting a garden, and you you get started, and you, and you catch the fever and you catch the bug and you go 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 and then all of a sudden you're completely overwhelmed oh yeah and and then the whole thing just comes to a complete stop and you don't have a garden anymore because you couldn't keep up you did too much too fast too much too fast that is the biggest thing i warn people about when jumping into gardening being green you know because you get that one little success and you want to multiply it a thousand times over, and then it just becomes way too much right. <laughs> success. Right. Well, I, I coach people all the time. Just pick one thing, even if it's herbs on a pot on your patio. Um, in fact, I tell people this all the time. The easiest thing to grow and the most expensive thing to buy in the grocery store are herbs. Basil, cilantro, mint, those kinds of things. And they grow great on a pot on your back patio. So that's a great place to start. So start simple. We had a mint plant in a pot Mm -hmm. died you know which is pretty hard because it's a hardy bush Uh uh-huh one of those things yeah i'll get around to it i'll get around to it i'll get around to it next thing you know three months later it was regrowing itself (laughs) yep yeah they die back in the winter sometimes so it's you know we just got to be patient just got to be patient and that's a great thing that gardening teaches us being patient yep and the other thing that it teaches us is about abundance. What I'm noticing this time of year is there is so much fruit on my citrus trees. And I was going to bring you some, mm. Gary. <laughs> I was going to bring you some oranges. Mm. Orange I, juice. Yeah, there you go. Mm. There you go. The, the amount of abundance that comes off of my fruit trees all times of the year is just mind-blowingly amazing. We had a guest stay over uh, last night with us, one of, uh, one of the kid's friends. Mm-hmm. I went out. And I picked probably about 30 oranges, and I was with the intent to squeeze it so we'd have it for the morning and, uh-huh. uh, you know, last a couple of days. I couldn't squeeze it fast enough before <laughs> right. it was gone. <laughs> yeah. That's why I just like to peel them and eat them. Makes it faster. Oh, every time I filled up that glass, can I have some more orange juice? Help yourself. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So getting started with a garden, there's there's several things that you need to kind of understand before you, uh, uh, you know, before you really get going. And the single biggest thing that you can do to kill your garden is to put it in the wrong place. So having an understanding of where the sun is at in your yard at a particular time of year 
will inform you a lot about the success of your upcoming garden. So a northern exposure, anything on the north side of a property, well, let me put that a little differently. Anything on a north side of like a house or a wall is going to be a hard place to grow because northern exposures don't get a whole lot of sun. So if you're standing against the back wall of your house and you're looking north, that's a northern exposure. So if you put a garden in that space, it's probably not going to get enough sun to give you a great garden. And it's easy to make that mistake because you think, oh, well, you know, shade, this is going to be great. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to it from the sun. Exactly. And this, you know, this, this part of the puzzle can be a little bit, of conf- little bit confusing. But the thing I tell people often is go spend a year in your yard before you make any major changes and look where the sun is at and look where the rain is falling at. Spend time paying attention to nature that happens in your yard because that's going to make your job hard or your job easy depending on, you know, where you put your garden. A garden in a northern exposure is not going to likely grow because it's just not going to get enough sun. A Western exposure gets sun from noon until sundown. Is that a good place for a garden or not? I'm pointing at Romy right now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's a trick question. <laughs> it is a trick question because it depends on the time of year. A, a Western exposure in the summertime, your garden's going to cook. But it could be a perfect place for a wintertime garden where, uh, you know, especially on days like today where it's so cold. If you have a Western exposure, again, a Western exposure gets sun from noon until sundown. If you put your garden there and it's a day like today, it's going to collect that heat in the afternoon and probably be a really great place for a garden. A Southern exposure is anything on the south side of your house. Um, So if you're standing against the back wall of your house and you're looking south, that's a Southern exposure. But beware, if you look across your backyard, that wall across the backyard... That's likely a northern exposure. Again, not a great place to put a garden, but a southern exposure is a great place to garden. And an eastern exposure, an eastern exposure gets sun from sunup until noon. In my opinion, it's the best place to put your garden overall. So paying attention to the space where you have your garden is going to be a really important key to your long-term success of your garden. So we've got that. There Get is it that. observed. Then there's the, you want to talk Get dirt Get it selected. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So um, dirt is, uh, let's see here. I thought we had the, yeah, we have segment three is all about healthy soil. Because we'll jump into that. That really is number two, though. Putting healthy soil in your gardens. Trying to grow in desert, soil, desert dirt. Good luck with that. <laughs> need, need to add a little bit of supplement to it. Right. So the next thing I want to, I want to touch on is microclimates. Microclimates are different spaces in your yard that are warmer or colder. You ever been hiking in the desert and you go down into a ravine or something and it gets 10 degrees cooler? You just, you're immediately, the, the shivers go from right you know, the whole distance of your back all the way up to the top right. of your forehead. It just, woo. Yeah, exactly. Where'd that exactly. come from? <laughs> right. So those are called microclimates. And that's the next thing I want you to go discover about your yard is where are the microclimates at? Where are the warmer places? Where are the colder places? Now, I'm pointing at you again. What's going to make a warmer microclimate in your yard? Shaded area. Shaded area will make a cooler microclimate. Conc- go a, ahead. I'm sorry. You said a warmer microclimate. Yeah, that's sorry. right. 
That's, but it's the same thing. You know, a really heavily shaded area is going to make a cool place in your yard. That could be a really good thing. It could be not so good. It depends on your space. The things that makes your space a warmer microclimate is concrete and gravel, those kinds of things. So if you have a concrete walls all the way around your backyard and gravel in your backyard, you're going to have a really warm space to grow. Probably going to kill a lot of things back there until you start addressing how to keep the space cooler. And honestly, the easiest way to make the space cooler is to plant shade. Takes a little bit of time to grow. And I am a huge proponent. We need at least a million shade trees in Phoenix, if not 10 million or 100 million shade trees in Phoenix over the next decade. In fact, that's one of the projects I'm taking on next year is how do we get a million native shade trees planted in the Phoenix metropolitan native. area? Oh, I native. Think, I thought you were going to go with some kind of edible, but well, with your mesquite mill. There you, know, you go. That's right. <laughs> so the the things that, three things that I like to plant that are native trees are ironwood, which are my favorite, and edible. Palo Verde. Never eaten an ironwood. Ironwood bean. Palo Verde are edible. And mesquite are edible. You just have to get the right kind. And that's the challenge we're running into right now with my fruit tree program. We're kind of transitioning into desert edibles with it and trying to find native mesquite trees, native Palo Verdes. Um, it's hard. It's hard. They, they just carry the Chilean ones. And if you ever tried to eat a Chilean mesquite bean, it's like... Oh, I wouldn't want to put that in my mouth. <laughs> They're just easier to sell because of the they don't have nearly the thorns, thorns. that the native mes mesquites. And I guess right. it depends on how native you go. A lot of people say mesquites aren't even native to Arizona. They've come over from Texas. But, I mean, we're going oh, back God. thousands of years right. at that point. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> how long does something have to be here locally to be native? They, you know, People that uh, weren't even born here call themselves native just that, you know, they did. Well, I've been here more than five years. I'm a native. I've been yeah, here more than 10 go. years. I'm a native. I've been here more than 20 years. I'm a native. <laughs> so I guess it just depends on how far back you want to go to be quote unquote native. There you <laughs> go. So we actually have a supply of um, uh, native mesquite trees coming out of Tucson for our fruit tree program, which I'll tell you about a little later on in the hour. Um, so mesquite we'll have Valley Growers? Uh, no. Okay. I was just, you mesquite, Tucson. I thought maybe, yeah, maybe. There you go. Okay. <laughs> now there you go. Um, so we've got uh, native mesquites coming out of Tucson, um, and the it's not quick, but the best and least expensive way to plant uh, shade, to put shade in your yard is to plant it. So getting, you know, if you have a really hot backyard, planting shade is going to be imperative. Plus, it's going to cool your house, you know, especially on a western exposure. So there's your three natives, native mesquite, not yep. the Chilean. Yep. Palo Verde. Yep. Not Palo Brea. Palo Verde. Palo Verde. And the Ironwood. And, uh, exactly. Which I think is the prettiest desert tree. Oh, yeah. When it's in bloom mm -hmm. and it's it's fully mature. They're very slow growing, take a long time, but there is just something stoic about the look of an Ironwood that, to me, takes it for, oh, yeah. for, for your top choice of native trees. Well, and another native that's not edible that grows so fast is the sweet acacia. It's really thorny. But the sweet, I've got a, I've got a uh, six-month-old sweet acacia in my backyard that's eight feet tall, so came up from seed. Oh, yeah, it it's, grows blindingly fast. So, And a part of that is your good soil, which we'll talk about. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. 
All it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground. Inch by inch, row by row. All right, all right. So I recognize the voice, but who is that? A generic singer. I have no idea. (laughs) All right. Sounds like the Peter, Paul, and Mary era. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's not them. Oh, David Grover and the Big Bear Band. All right, cool. Where do you come up with these? It's his gift. Yeah, it's just a gift, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it's a gift. Nice. And there's something that ties into the theme musically. Gary D finds it. There you go. We're talking urban farming with farmer Greg. You can find out more about his programs at uh, urbanfarm.org. Yep. And we were in the middle of talking about uh, you know planting your, your garden, garden. Yeah. placing your garden, and part of that is uh, planning for water. Yeah. Well, and really just paying attention to uh, paying attention to where your water's coming from. Because, you know, when you just stop to think about it, uh, you might think, oh, I just have a hose, right? And there are so many other places. There's so many other places to, to derive our water from if we just start paying attention. One of them is, so I have an evaporative cooler on my house. And for those of you who don't know, it, an evaporative cooler uses water to cool down the air to cool down your house. And there's a, a vent, a water vent that, you know, pushes off water to keep it from getting too salty in the evaporative cooler. That's one place to get water. A second place to get water is your hose. Third place to get water to pay attention to is gray water. And gray water is any water that goes down any sink in your house, any drain and sink in your house. Except, except. Your, your toilet and your dishwasher. <laughs> Exactly, your kitchen. That's your black water. Yeah, that's your black water. And it is legal in the state of Arizona to use gray water in your yard. It takes a little planning. Uh, it takes a little planning, but you can change up of do it. soaps and a change up of uh, shampoo and, and yeah. hair products. But you you really can. And it, yep. uh, according to Water Use It Wisely, 70 percent of the water we use is outdoor, thirty percent indoor. Yep. Well, if we are able to repurpose. You know, let's say uh, of that indoor use minus the black water, you're mm-hmm. probably going to be able to say repurpose half of it. Oh, at least, at least, yeah. So really paying attention to that. So gray water. Um, we happen we happen to have flood irrigation at the urban farm. I bought the place 30 years ago because it has flood water, uh, and so that helps a lot. The, the this is a bit of an obscure place uh, that gives us. And this is only good in the summertime when the air conditioning is running, but your condensate from your air conditioning unit is actually distilled water. So, Oh, and, Dad puts a bucket underneath you, it, and that's what his dogs drink all there summer you go. long. I do there the you same go. thing. Yeah, <laughs> there's it. an amazing amount of water that comes off the condensation of your air conditioning unit in <gasps> July. Well, it depends when you run your evaporative cooler or when you run your air conditioning because we run our evaporative cooler to the first week of July. So for us, July, August, September, you know, we get a fair amount of water coming out of our air conditioning unit. So paying attention to where your water is coming from is really important. And you have, there's more there than you think. Plus then there's uh, rainwater harvesting. And, you know, I get And if you think you can't or don't have enough water in Phoenix to rainwater, because for a long time, you know, that was always the saying as well, there's enough in Tucson and there is a lot of rainwater harvesting uh, companies and specialists in Tucson yep. and not in Phoenix. And they say, well, there's not enough in Phoenix. Well, the, the last year, any indication, uh, there, there's enough. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I get this question a lot. Why bother harvesting rainwater? 
Well, first of all, it's free. Secondly, it's falling on your property anyways. Third, all you have to do is direct it to the right place. Rainwater harvesting for me, and we talk about this in the summertime, but rainwater harvesting for me is simply directing that water in your landscape where you want it and then plant around where that water's at. And, you know, we've got, there was one event in 2014 in September. We got three inches of rain in two hours. It was a September morning in, in 2014. <laughs> and when I figured it out in that three inches of rain, we got 29,000 gallons of water that fell on the urban farm in that hour and a half or so. So, you know, it's, it's pay attention. 29,000 gallons, and 20, that's a third of an acre? A third of an acre, yeah. Yeah, that's like a lot of water. <laughs> so really pay attention to that. That's I, I, that, that's more than some homes use in an entire month. There you go. That, you know, it's an Olympic-sized swimming pool, I think. You know, that's a lot of water. So pay attention to that. And so the, really the next step that I encourage people to do is view your space. I have a third of an acre. View your space as a whole system. And it's a whole system that interacts with the system outside. So I actually learn a lot about what goes on in my neighbor, in my yard by walking the neighborhood and seeing what other people are doing, where there's shades growing, um, where there's too much sun. Just pay attention to the different, uh, different microclimates that are in your neighborhood and then see how you can start to replicate them in your own your own property. And I do this by looking at something called permaculture. Permaculture, I like to call the art and science of working with nature. Because we human beings think we can do it better than nature. And I have news for you. Nature always wins. Nature always going to have the top, you know. And I've never seen a rogue garden growing on its own. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So yeah, we need to assist it. Um, but my yard, the urban farm, which will have open in tours in March and April and May of this year, of next year, sorry, 2020. We're not quite there yet, almost though. <laughs> in a couple can you days. Believe, can you believe it's going to be 2020 in no. just a few days? It was just 1999. Uh, Y2K was going to kill us all. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> More with Farmer Greg here at Rosie on the house right after this. I'd like to be right next under the sea. In an octopus's garden in the shade. <laughs> did we talk about aquaponics on air, or did you just hear that? <laughs> <laughs> I think an we did both. An garden in the shade. You know, I, I didn't think about the aquaponics angle, which we've talked about many times, too. But there yeah, you go. You, you hit that one. <laughs> For those of you listening, aquaponics is a concept started in the, I don't know, the 60s or something where you actually have, a friend of mine calls it a fish-powered garden. So the fish is pooping in the water and that water is being pumped through your garden beds. The uh, plants pull the fish poop, the nutrients out of the water, clean the water for the, for the fish and so on. So it's a natural system. Aquaponics. Aquaponics. And it's we're actually going to have that in February, February. I think we got a guy coming on to talk about aquaponics. Yeah. Perfect. We switched it up a little bit next year. We got some cool stuff happening on the uh, uh, Urban Farming Hour next year. So I'm really excited about that. Right now we're talking about planning for your garden. And one thing we didn't get to in the second one is is perma perma permaculture. Permaculture. I know. My li my lists it of stuff to talk about here could go on for days. In fact, we should just take over the station for the next three days and talk gardening. That would be great fun. I could do that. 
<laughs> so permaculture, I like to call permaculture the art and science of working with nature. So how do we plug in and work in the flow of nature? One of the ways, one of the things that it looks like is in my yard, um, there are many, many things that I don't plant from year to year because what I've done is I've planted the right kinds of seeds. They're called open pollinated seeds, which we'll get to in the uh, fourth segment today uh, briefly. Um, but open pollinated seeds, um, basically I let things go to seed in my yard and then they replant themselves the next year. So this year I've got carrots that just came up magically in my garden and kale and broccoli and nasturtiums and mint. Well, mint is just indestructible anyways. Um, <laughs> basil. There's so many different things that come back year after year simply because what I've done is let the seeds, let the plants go to seed and just spread the seeds in my yard. In fact, I was walking across my front lawn the other day uh, and there was lettuce coming up. Just, you know, it just comes up wherever it wants to come up. So which is really cool. It makes my job as an urban farmer, a gardener easier. Cause then, you know, I don't, from year to year, I don't have to plant. I just get to harvest, which is the best part. And we'll talk about it. We've got soils coming up a little bit, but you know, a big part of that and your acacia that's growing wildly and, and grew very mm -hmm. uh, tall, very fast. You know, you've been, it's a healthy soil thing. You, you've been cultivating that soil for, for 30 years. Plus, I lucked out because I bought a flood irrigated property, which was an old citrus orchard. This, the soil wasn't great, but it was better than most yards here. So, If you're starting with a clean slate, a new home, mm -hmm. a new development. What do you do? Blank canvas on the backyard. Th this type of growing isn't going to happen the first year. Right. But every year it just gets better. <laughs> yeah, and here's what I tell because I've been at my place for 30 years. Uh, and here's what I tell people. It's going to take a good, if I was starting a new project, it would take me a good five years to get the soil right. And I'd start year one, but to get the soil right and get everything kind of flowing like nature would flow or nature flows. So, it, you know, it, it this is, takes time. We have to take a deep breath, be patient, and, you know, and work through the process. It's a lifestyle. It's a living project. It's yeah. not a one and done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's ongoing and living. So um, I want to talk about stacking functions real quick, and then we're going to talk about healthy soil. Stacking functions in permaculture is kind of like uh, stacking functions when you go to the grocery store. So if you had three errands to run, you wouldn't go to the grocery store, come home, go to the pet store, come home, go to the nursery gun come home you would not stack intentionally them. not intent <laughs> right not intentionally you would go to the you would I, go to one two happened, or three but, but it wasn't intentional <laughs> right um you know that's called stacking functions and i do a lot of that at the urban farm where so we have chickens in the backyard at the urban farm i got chickens in 1999 so it's been 20 years i've been keeping chickens there and the chickens do more than just make eggs for me uh, although in the past i've raised meat birds um so in the industrial food system, chickens are good for two things, um, mostly, unless you talk to Clint Hickman and he's, uh, they're doing <laughs> all kinds of other things, but they're, they're good for meat and eggs. In my backyard, um, I, don't, I don't raise meat birds anymore, but in my backyard, we get eggs and the chickens eat bugs and eat weeds. And they, you know, give us manure for our compost pile and our garden. So this is in permaculture, we call this stacking functions because we have one animal that is doing many things for us. And some staggering numbers mm -hmm. right now in the meat world of chickens, mm -hmm. they're 
you know, 1.3 billion wings will get eaten on Super Bowl Sunday is the average. Wow. And that's six weeks away. So most of those wings, they're actually being hatched, you know, this week. Oh, yes, they that's true. They harvest at only about six weeks. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about meat birds that people don't know. A, a meat bird chicken goes from chick a special to plate. hybrid. Yeah, it's a special hybrid. That's not hybrids aren't bad. Uh, it's a special hybrid goes from meat to plate in about six to seven weeks. <laughs> and I I've grown those in my backyard, and it's you almost can watch them grow. And by the time they get to nine or ten weeks, they're too big. They can't walk anymore. They so, sit at the feeder and eat. Yeah, <laughs> they do. Can't even move. They do. They they they're they're voracious eaters and voracious growers. It's amazing to watch. So. so, and I've done that before and I don't do it anymore because uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work and the chickens are our pets anymore. I, Heidi would never let me do that, <laughs> nor, would I, nor do I think I want to. Yeah. Anyways, soil. Let's jump into healthy soil because that is the single biggest key besides where you place your garden to the success of your, of your garden. Soil has five components. Healthy soil has five components. Dirt is one of them. I love the story that Kari Spencer from the Microfarm Project, she's been on the show with us before. She tells when she first started gardening 20 years or so ago, she went out in her backyard, she found a pot, she dug some dirt out of her backyard, and she tried to grow something. Crickets. Poor thing died really quick. Because dirt is a component of healthy soil. But it's only a component. And if all you have is dirt, especially desert dirt, we have less than 1% organic matter in the desert soils here. Good luck trying to grow anything in that. And it drives me a little bit nutty when people say, oh, yeah, just plant your trees, especially fruit trees. Just plant them in native soil and, you know, and see how they do. Um, it, it just doesn't work. We have to supplement the soil. So how we do that, there's five components of healthy soil. There is... Uh, dirt, which is broken down rock. And it's very important to have that because it's got a lot of micronutrients in it. So there's dirt, there's airspace, there's water. This is five components of healthy soil, dirt, airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. The good news is the fix for dirt is to add organic matter because the more organic matter that you add, it's going to build in that airspace. It's going to uh, act like a sponge and hold water. And magically, and I've seen this happen so many times, magically, the, the life is just going to show up in the soil. In fact, you can add organic matter to, uh, to a garden if it's just dirt and worms will show up. I have no idea how that happens. <laughs> it's like they come out of the air and they just show up. So adding organic matter is the single most important thing that you can do in your yard. If you have just a dirt backyard, adding 8 to 16 inches of woody mulch, which by the way is free from tree services because they're out there chipping it every day, uh, adding you know 8 to 16 inches in your backyard is going to act like a sponge. It's going to keep the dust down. It's going to... Uh, at the interface between the dirt and the woody mulch, very quickly it's going to start building this amazingly healthy soil. So if you just have a backyard, put down woody mulch. You know, get 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 in touch with a tree service. Um, I know that uh, John Eisenhower 
has this service available through through their company where they will dump a truckload of woody mulch in your driveway or in your yard. What you have to know about that is that it's a lot. You'll get 20 to 30 cubic yards, <laughs> which is a pile eight feet wide, six feet tall, and about 25 feet long. So just know you're going to get a lot. But if you have a quarter acre in your backyard, you could easily put 20 or 30 truckloads of woody mulch back there. And what that does is it sets you up long term for an amazing food forest in your backyard. And the woody mulch is free because here's the deal. My, the guys that I know that chip wood, chip wood for you know, their tree services, it costs them upwards of $500 to dump a load of that stuff at the dump. And so if they can dump it in your yard, they're going to be much happy about that. So adding organic matter is really important. And there's even a website, uh, getchipdrop.com. And no matter where in the state you are, you can sign up and you go on a waiting list. And, you know, as the tree crews are out there working and you see the trucks on the road all the time and they're towing the chipper behind Mm -hmm. it, they're doing their tree trimming and they're just mulching it right in the back of their truck. Well, instead of going... 30, 60, 80 miles to wherever dump will accept those types of wood chips. Um, they just come to your property and dump, dump away. it. Doesn't cost them anything. They're saving uh-huh. money for their customers. You get your free wood chips. Everybody wins. There you go. Well, and honestly, the last load that, of wood chips that I got, because you know I only have a third of an acre. It's flood irrigated. I don't need lots. But about a year ago, I heard somebody chipping in my neighborhood. And I went looking for them. They were just a few houses away, and they knew who I was. <laughs> but I walked up to him and introduced myself, and I said, you want to dump those in my driveway? And they were more than happy to dump them in my driveway. And it was a smaller load, so I, you know, I was able to uh, integrate that into my yard. So adding organic matter is super, super important. So woody mulch does not go in your gardens. Woody mulch is for your pathways. It's a long-term plan to build healthy soil in a dirt yard. And it also goes in the basins around your fruit trees. For garden beds, you need to put a nice garden mix in your garden bed that is made up of cocoa peat and compost and mostly broken down materials. If you put, so the difference between mulch and planting mix, if you grab a handful of something, mulch or planting mix, and look at it, and there's more than about five or 10% of organic matter that you can recognize that isn't broken down, that does not go in your gardens. Because if you put too much woody material in your garden beds, the woody material takes nitrogen to break down that woody material. If you, um, if you plant garden plants in your garden with that woody mulch in your garden, I know I said garden a lot of times. I'll probably say it a lot more. Um, the nitrogen gets swiped to break down the wood and the plants suffer. I've seen it over and over and over again. So you need a good planting mix. So grabbing a handful of planting mix and looking at it, you shouldn't be able to recognize more than about 5 or 10% of uncomposted material. Uh, Tanks Green Stuff down in Tucson does a really great job. They put together a product called uh, Farmer Greg's Planting Mix. It's great for uh, raised bed gardens. Um, They've also got compost. um, And, you know, so getting a good planting mix. So what I suggest for people, and I'm not a great big fan of raised bed gardens, but if you just have a dirt backyard or a gravel backyard, putting in a raised bed garden um, 
and adding planting mix right into the garden box and then planting, you're going to be much farther ahead. You're, you're going to be three years ahead of the game if you do it that way. And I just looked up Tank's Green stuff because for a long time when they first started, like anything, you know, there's only a certain amount of available product. And mm-hmm. it was pretty local to Tucson, but oh. they've got spots on here. Ajo, they've got a distribution. Uh, they also have Prescott. Oh, yeah. Uh, All kinds Oak of places Creek. here in Phoenix. All Yeah. Sedona. So, yeah. Emily Rocky is a, she's a, a she's a Rocky. Emily Rocky is a rock star. She's uh, really working with us a lot to uh, to to get enough growing material here in Phoenix so that we can have great gardens. We just covered the five components and I'm not going to look, I'm not going to cheat off my notes. That you need for soil, yep. dirt, yep. water, yep. air, mm-hmm. organic, yep, and all things living. Yep. The nice thing is when you add organic matter, the, the living just arrives. The living stuff just arrives. So I have a whole series. It's not for, I don't know why it's not coming up this morning. I have a whole series called the Healthy Soil Hacked video series that you can learn. And if, so if people just want to email me, greg at urbanfarm.org, or you know, look up Urban Farm on the you know, on the internet, the internet come machine. Up, I come up first. Uh, but if you send me an email, greg at urbanfarm.org and to ask for the healthy soil hacked series, I'll send it to you. It's a series of videos, um, on how to, uh, how to make healthy soil. And, and easy. And which easy. is what I'm assuming the hack part is. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just super simple. Uh, Jan's, so here's, here's a real quick example. Jan's incident garden, a friend of mine about 10 years ago, he called me and he says, Jan, my wife would like a garden. And I said, great, send me a picture of the space. He sent me a picture. It was an eastern exposure, so it got sun from uh, sun up until noon. It was a garden bed that was already had a brick border around it. It didn't have any Bermuda grass going in it, growing in it. And I was like, I was doing the happy dance. So we got uh, f- about 18 cubic feet of uh, planting mix. I showed up there at 7 a.m., on, I think it was, this is on my YouTube channel. I think it was like 7 a.m. on a Tuesday or something like that. And um, while I was unloading the soil, she was watering it. And then once it was all watered in, we planted. It took me, I, I did this garden in 47 minutes. I was there and gone in 47 minutes. Notice I didn't say dig. So we added eight inches of planting mix right on top. And then we let the seeds do the work of digging up the soil. And, you know, here we are eight or 10 years later and she's got a great garden still. So it's, you know, again, it's letting nature uh, do the work. And and what she does every year, she just adds two or three more inches of compost or planting mix right on top of the bed. And, you know, and it just, it just works. Nature just works. I love that. And that's one of the examples on the garden hacks. You had a couple more that yep. if you can contact Greg. We won't cover them all in this programming segment. Seed selection. I want to make sure we get to that because you go to a nursery and there are brands and a lot of times, you know, I've even seen seeds. I'm like, I have never even heard of that. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. And I know I can always successfully grow um, squash, 
but right. I can't successfully get everyone in the family to eat it. So oh, there you he, he also wanna... I can't do anything for you on that. I can't do anything for you on that. First of all, first of all, I want you to go to plantingcalendar.org. That is my free planting calendar. You just go down there, go there, download it. I've been giving it away for almost 20 years. And that tells you what to plant when, because the single most important, uh, the single biggest mistake that people make is planting the wrong plant at the wrong time of year. And you can't trust the, especially the big box stores and some of the nurseries, you can't trust them because they'll bring in cucumbers in October and broccoli in February. And that's totally wrong. You don't want to do that. That's not going to work. You're not going to, not going to have success there. So plantingcalendar.org will get you a free planting calendar on that. Um, types of seeds. You've likely heard of genetically modified seeds. The good news is, is that as home gardeners, we don't really have to worry about. It's something to be concerned about, but we're not, we can't buy genetically modified seeds off the shelf uh, because we're not their market the companies that are doing that. So we can, you know, good, do your research on genetically modified, but that's not something we have to worry about in our gardens right now. Then there's hybrid seeds. Hybrid seeds, they take watermelon A and watermelon B and they cross-pollinate them. This happens in nature. It's called natural selection. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, and it comes up with watermelon C, which is sweet and seedless. The only challenge that we have with hybrids is, is but that— But then you can't spit the seeds at your, your, your siblings. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and those seeds aren't necessarily viable as a seed. So that goes to the third kind of seed that I like to plant. It's called open-pollinated or heirloom seeds. They're, it's basically a stable seed so that if you plant an Armenian cucumber and grow it out and save the Armenian cucumber seed and then replant that seed— you're going to get an Ar Armenian cucumber, you know, year after year after year. And that's that's what I do with carrots. I do that with parsley. Um, these are all lettuce that just crumbs back year after year in my yard. So you have to let a certain portion of that harvest go to seed then, correct? Exactly. You can't harvest it all and expect it to come back. You've right. got to let one or two or three go to seed. Go to seed. Don't. These are the ones we're not going to eat. Uh, keep the rabbits away. <laughs> keep the dogs out. Yep. You know, let let them just naturally go to seed and die. Then it'll replant itself for next year. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's a process that you have to think through. It's so, a process. And you have your fruit tree program started? Yeah, the fruit tree program. So for those of you that don't know, I this is my 20th year of a fruit tree education program. You can buy fruit trees from us. We are actually open uh, starting about January 15th. You can find out about it at fruittrees.org. Fruittrees.org. And uh, Farmer Greg, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with thanks us. Thanks for having me. Urbanfarm.org for a complete list of Greg's resources for getting your own urban farm started.